Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Colossians. We're in Colossians 2, 11 to 15. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, thank you for your inspired and errant word. Thank you for truth that allows us to know you, to know your heart, to know what your son has done for us and the empowerment of your spirit in our lives if we know Jesus. Father, allow us to rightly divide this text and to be encouraged by it and challenged. Speak to us. May you be glorified through us. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Traitors. America has suffered the repercussion of a number of traitors throughout our history. Perhaps the earliest infamous traitor was General Benedict Arnold. If you know anything about General Benedict Arnold, you know that he was actually a hero for the colonists. And then he got greedy, and for an amount of money equal to about $3 million today, he gave over the blueprint of West Point and the weaknesses, the vulnerabilities of West Point to the British. And he went from hero to traitor as zero in our economy. Then I think of Tokyo Rose. The Kino is her name. The Kino was a U.S. citizen who served the imperial nation of Japan during World War II. As a citizen, she went over to Japan and she had a silky smooth voice and our boys in the South Pacific would tune in because they didn't have a lot of alternatives. They would listen to her dialogue day in and day out. And over and over again, she would say, boys, Surrender, give up. You cannot defeat the imperial nation of Japan. Now I'm well aware that the Kino has been controversial in our history. After the war, she was brought back to the United States. She was tried and sentenced to 10 years, of which she served six years and two months. Yet many suggest that some of the broadcasts associated with Tokyo Rose was not just Aquino, but a number of women. Others have said she was coerced and she had to do it because she was under threat of death. For whatever reason, she did serve another nation against our nation as a citizen of the U.S. And she served six years, two months. And then she faced deportation, which she fought. And eventually she stayed in Chicago and died in 2006. But in 1977, then President Gerald Ford pardoned her. But you can still read about what she did and she still served time. I think of Aldrich Ames. You may know Aldrich Ames. He served for about three decades in the CIA. Other than Robert Hansen, Aldrich Ames sold more U.S. secrets than anyone, did more damage than anyone we know of. He received about $4.6 million. 
we know that he is responsible for the deaths or the incarceration in the Gulag Archipelago of the USSR, the former Union of Soviet Socialist Republic, 36 traitors. He gave them their names. They were arrested. Many were put to death for his crimes. As a KGB double agent, he is serving life without parole in Indiana in a supermax. Then there's Robert Hansen. To our knowledge, he sold more U.S. secrets, more of our agents and nuclear secrets to Russia than anyone else in history. He was given about $1.4 million and an undisclosed number of diamonds of a value we do not know. He did untold damage to our nation. This 25-year FBI agent who served Russia. For his crimes, he is serving 15 consecutive life sentences in a supermax in Colorado. And then there's Edward Snowden. You may remember him from 2013. He was 29 years old. He worked for the NSA and he worked for the CIA and he took some documents with him, fled the country, went to Hong Kong, eventually became a Russian citizen where he dwells today. For the documents he stole, he was given a large amount of money, about 1.2 million in speaker fees, and he was offered $5 million, which he took in 2020 to publish some of the stolen documents. Some consider him a whistleblower. Others, like myself, consider him a traitor. He's really a combination of both. As a whistleblower, he says, and I don't know if this is true or not, he says that every digital communication, every electronic communication, every text, every message, every phone call, every FaceTime, every Zoom call, is permanently recorded in our country by the NSA and the CIA. If that is true, that's criminal, and people need to be brought to justice. But he's more than a whistleblower. He's a traitor. A traitor does not flee. A traitor does not print sensitive documents and sell sensitive documents and become a citizen of Russia. Here we have traitors. Every one of them has had their reputation damaged. Every one of them has served time. Or in Edward Snowden's case, he is facing 30 years if he is arrested and convicted, but he's still on the lam. You can read about these individuals and their reputations are destroyed. They're traitors. My friend, if you know Jesus, you may have been a traitor to the cross at one time, but your crimes, my crimes, have been expunged. If we know Jesus, if we've come to the end of ourselves, if we've confessed that we are sinners in need of a Savior and accepted what Jesus did on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that through him we might become the righteousness of God. If we believe in Christ, 
and receive him. Our sins have been expunged from us. Allow me to read to us from Colossians 2, verse 14. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is why we read, believer in Christ, in Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why we read in Romans 8.33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. If you know Jesus, rejoice today. Your crimes have been expunged. You have been cleansed. There is no condemnation. Not eternally for those who are in Christ Jesus. We may have at one time been traitors, but we have been cleansed. We have been redeemed. The debts of our crimes have been removed and we are covered with the righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ. What a reason to rejoice. And that's the message of today's text. Let me read to us from Colossians chapter 2. I want to read verses 11 to 15. In him, in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. This is a circumcision of the heart by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You believed in Jesus, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised with him through the faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. At the moment in which Jesus became your Savior and Lord, and if he's not your Savior and Lord, make that moment today. Believe in Christ. Now, the moment in which you and I accepted Christ, there are certain things that happened in our life and other things that ought to happen in our life. We'll look at a few of them. Let's remember our setting. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. Now, Colossae was founded 10 years earlier. It's a healthy church. It wasn't founded by Paul. It was founded by a disciple of Paul. Paul's never been there. And yet we read inexplicably, amazingly, we read that Paul prays for them regularly. He's regularly lifting them up to the Lord, but he doesn't even know them. He's never met them. He just knows about them. And he understands that this generally healthy church has been infiltrated by false teachers. And so he not only prays to them, he sends an epistle, the letter to Colossae. Now we know something about these false teachers. We know that there seems to be two types. There's the Gnostics. I use the word proto because Gnosticism will be full-blown in the second century. We're about 46 years before that. So it's proto-initial Gnosticism. And the Gnostics essentially say this. Jesus, yeah, that's good. It's a good start. But if you really want to be saved, you got to get into the mysteries. A mystery religion. And 
and look for secrets, hidden secrets in the biblical text and elsewhere. And eventually, if you get enough of these secrets, these hidden mysteries, you yourself will become like God and you can save yourself. That's the Gnostics. And then there's the Judaizers. They're Jews. They're sincere. They say, Jesus, okay, that might be a start, but it's not enough. And they deny Matthew 5, 17, where Jesus said he fulfilled the law for us. that The purpose of the law had been already fulfilled. Both the book of Romans and Galatians tell us the law was given, those 613 Levitical laws were given to teach us that we are sinners, that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And when that purpose had finally been fulfilled, Jesus lived out the law for us so that we could keep our eyes on Jesus rather than the law. We're no longer under the minutia of the law, we're under Christ. We have been bought with a price if we know Jesus. But the Judaizers are saying, now Jesus, good start. But what you really need is to get into the law. And perhaps you start if you're a male by circumcision. It's not that Paul is against circumcision of the flesh. Leviticus 12, 2 and 3 says that on the eighth day after birth, all males are circumcised. Paul tells us in Philippians 3, 5, he was circumcised on the eighth day. In fact, he tells us he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He tells us under the law he was blameless. And yet you remember Philippians 3, he says all of these things, these trophies that I have, I consider them as rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul realized that trying to earn salvation even with rites like baptism or communion or confirmation or good works, all of them will fall short of the glory of God. And so Paul makes it clear that true circumcision is not physical, it's of the heart. Paul wants Gentiles and Jews alike to know that it's not our nationality, it's not the blood cursing through our vein, it's not ritual by which we are saved, it's through Christ. From time to time, I've even heard evangelicals say, well, Jews are God's chosen people so that all Jews are saved. I wish that that would be true. Paul wishes that. He says he would go to hell himself to save all Jews. But he tells us in Romans 9, 10, and 11 that a true Jew is not ethnic, but one who has been circumcised in the heart. He says a day is coming. What a great day it will be when many Jews will be regrafted into the family of God through faith in Jesus. But until that day, whether Jew or Gentile, anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus will suffer a crisis eternity, separated from God in hell. If you don't believe, believe today. Jew or Gentile, believe in Christ. Paul makes this statement. It's a remarkable one in Romans 2, 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew, God's chosen person, is one inwardly with circumcision that's a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. It's through faith in Christ by which we are saved. 
You may be surprised that Paul makes circumcision a hard issue, but it's not just Paul. It's actually steeped in the Old Testament. Yes, there's physical circumcision, but that was always lesser than circumcision of the heart. That's what really saves. Deuteronomy 10, 16. Circumcise your hearts that you may not be stiff-necked any longer. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and that you may live. Whether in the Old Testament or the New, the church age that we live in, salvation has always been not through ritual, not through circumcision, not through baptism, not through good works, not through confirmation, not through church attendance. Salvation has always been through a Redeemer. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to the Redeemer Christ. We look back on the Redeemer Christ. No one has ever been saved throughout faith, without faith in the Redeemer, who is Jesus Christ. We rightly, cannot save ourselves through ritual. Or in the words of Colossians 2.11, let me read it again to us. Colossians 2, verse 11. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's believing in Christ his death, burial, and resurrection, him taking the penalty of sin, him dying for our sin, him rising again as the first fruits of salvation. It's only in Christ by which you and I are saved. I love the way Paul put it so clearly in Romans 10, 9, and 10. He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And if one has truly believed in Christ as an act of solidarity with Christ, as a public direct declaration that one belongs to Christ, as an act of worship, we are then to engage in a physical parable where we go down in the waters of baptism, signifying we have died to self, the old nature, and behold, we have become a new creature in Christ. It's in solidarity to Jesus going down into the ground and then rising on the third day. That's what baptism signifies. That's the picture of Romans chapter 6. Jesus himself was baptized, Matthew 3, 16 and 17. He never sinned. And yet he was baptized in solidarity with us. Baptism is so important that it's actually part of the great commission. The commission that Jesus gave every believer to live out. Let me read from Matthew 28. I'll read verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is a bit technical, but there's only one 
verb that's a command, an imperative in this text. The overall arching statement in verses 19 and 20 is make disciples. That's our job. If you know Christ, your job, my job, our job is to make disciples. And then he has three participles. A participle is kind of like a verbal adjective and it takes its force from the nearest command, which is make disciples. It's an imperative. And so these participles take on imperative or command form. And there are three of them. Go, baptize, and teach. Let's unpack it for a moment. Go. That doesn't only mean go overseas. It means go into the office, go into the neighborhood, go into your phone book, go to your next door neighbor, go and tell see people about Jesus, about how you and I can be saved through faith in Jesus. Go. Invite someone to church where they hear the gospel. Personally tell them how you as a sinner, are saved by faith in Christ and they can be saved, go. And if they believe what you do next, you encourage them to be baptized. Some people have downplayed baptism. It's part of the Great Commission. Jesus did it, Matthew 3, 16 and 17, in solidarity with us. It's a picture of our solidarity with Christ. A picture of the old man, the old woman dying, being raised in newness of Christ. Of what Jesus did when he went into the ground and rose on the third day. It's an act of worship. And finally we teach. What do we teach? We teach biblical truths. We teach people how to live in Christ. So Colossians 2.12 talks about baptism. It doesn't tell us the means, but the rest of scripture does. The means is as a believer in Jesus, by immersion, one goes down and one rises in solidarity with Christ. I want to offer a silly illustration. It's a straw man. It really represents nobody, but it's an illustration nonetheless, and it will lead to a point. There's a guy named Chris. As an infant, Chris was baptized by his parents. That's my story. I was baptized also as an infant. Then Chris, at a young age, came to Christ. That's my story. Age four, I came to Christ. And then he was baptized. That's also my story. As a believer, along with my older sisters and my parents, we were all baptized as believers. Well, Chris thought, well, you know, I want to go back to the pastor who taught my parents that I was saved through baptism. His name was Pastor Bob. And so Chris went back to Pastor Bob and he said, Pastor Bob, do you really believe that salvation is through the waters of baptism? And Pastor Bob said, yeah, I really believe that. And Chris said, well, let me give you an illustration. Let's suppose that I, by faith, have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. I have totally placed my faith in Christ. And then... I'm about to be baptized. I go to the edge of the waters to be baptized. Someone's going to put me under. And at that moment, I have a heart attack and I die. Am I saved? Pastor Bob said, let me think about this for a moment. Let me get the, the facts 
straight. You have believed in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You get right up to the edge of the water and you have a heart attack and die. Is that what you're telling me? And you want to know, are you saved? That's right, Pastor Bob. Well, Pastor Bob said, well, which way did you fall? Now that's a silly illustration and it's a straw man. No one who believes in baptismal regeneration would ever take Pastor Bob's position. But there are many who believe that baptismal regeneration exists. That is, we are saved by baptism, that baptism is part of the gospel. By the way, if you read 1 Corinthians 1, 14 to 17, Paul categorically divides the gospel from baptism. Read it. 1 Corinthians 1, 14 to 17. The gospel does not include baptism. But if, if I were to take a position of baptismal regeneration, I won't, I don't, it's not taught in scripture. The passage that I would point to, if I had that position, is 1 Peter 3, 21. And so I want to read it to you. Baptism which corresponds to this, that is, corresponds to Noah in the ark, now saves you. Ho, ho, ho. Now we got a problem. Baptism now saves you. Listen to the rest of the verse. Not as a removal of dirt from the body. You're not saved by the removal of dirt in your body. You're not saved by the washing of water. What are you saved by? An appeal to God. For a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How or why are you saved? You appeal to God for cleansing. And your faith is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection. That is the gospel. But what I want to notice from this text. And it's all over scripture. Is there is a very close connection to believing the word, believing the gospel, and responding in baptism. There's a close connection. So in Acts chapter 2, 41, Peter preaches the 3,000. He preaches the word. They believe, and then they're baptized. First he preaches, then they believe, and then they're baptized. I see this pattern all over scripture. In Acts chapter 8, we have an Ethiopian. He has Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. He doesn't understand it. God sends Philip. Philip explains that the suffering servant is Jesus who dies for the redemption of those who believe in him. And the Ethiopian believes. And the next thing they do is they're baptized. He goes down in the water and Philip baptizes the Ethiopian. We see the same thing in Acts 16. A Philippian jailer comes to Christ. It's an obscenely early hour in the morning, but he believes in Christ, he and his family, and then they're baptized. We see the same thing in Acts 16. Lydia and her family come to Christ. They don't even have a synagogue to, to visit, but they go into the waters and they're baptized. There is a very close connection to believing in Christ and then following in solidarity as an act of worship and baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
The idea of an unbaptized believer is 20th century, 21st century Western world. If you're here today and you believed in Christ, you know Christ as your Savior, but you've not been baptized as a believer, this summer you can see it in the bulletin. We're going to have two consecutive Sundays after church. All four campuses, two one week and two the next. We'll have a class you need to attend to to get a little bit more understanding of baptism. Then we will baptize those who have placed their faith in Christ and have not yet responded as an act of worship in baptism. Solidarity with Christ. Maybe that's you. Be baptized this summer. Well, after circumcision of the heart, where we believe in Christ, after you and I are baptized, then we rejoice, right? We rejoice because we have been cleansed. Let me read again Colossians 3, 13 and 14 powerful words. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. I love this. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside nailing it to the cross. We have so many of these passages. Let me just read a few more. Psalm 103, 12 and 13. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Isaiah 1, 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be made white as snow. Though they are red with crimson, they shall be made like wool. Psalm 133 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Or Micah 7, 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. This is the God you and I serve. No wonder we respond with acts of praise. If you're here today, and you have believed in Christ. You have had your heart circumcised by Christ. Respond in baptism if you haven't as a believer. And then go and make disciples, part of the Great Commission. How do you make disciples? You go, you tell people about Jesus, you bring them to church. Well, they'll hear about Jesus. And then when they believe in Jesus, you Encourage them to have solidarity, a public declaration through the waters of baptism. And then you teach biblical truths to them and help them to grow. Help them to connect, grow, and go themselves. Always taking the next step in one's relationship with Jesus Christ. And through it all, we rejoice. We rejoice because he has canceled the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And in verse 15, it says that he goes and he makes a spectacle 
of the demonic world. He declares to Satan, he, she, they are my people. And I who began a good work in them will be faithful to complete it. And neither death nor life, nor things present, nor things to come, nor principalities or powers, or any forces in this dark world will ever separate them from my love, the love of God in Christ Jesus. How can we do anything but serve that kind of God, love that kind of God, take the next step in our relationship with Jesus Christ for that kind of God? We need to be all in. It's a little phrase, a couple of my buddies and I, we send to each other a couple times a week, just a little message, all in. It's our declaration, our promise, our proclamation that we're going to live for Jesus on this day. We're all in. We're going to turn from sin and towards righteousness. We're going to bring glory to God. We are all in. It's the only reasonable response for what God has done for us. All in. Let's pray. Father God, may we be all in. We who know Jesus. And Father, if there's someone here today that does not know Jesus, may they know, as we all must know, that we are sinners. Our actions, our attitudes, our thoughts, our motives, even our inactivities have not been what you desire. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And your Son died on the cross and took our sin upon himself, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That through him, through faith in Jesus alone, we might become the righteousness of God. May we each confess, agree with you that we are sinners in need of a Savior and accept your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior and Lord. And Father, for we who have done that, whether just now or decades ago, may we be all in. Empower us by your Spirit to turn from sin to do business with you and do business for you, to make disciples, to go, to baptize, to teach, and to be taught. May we be all in. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.